Um, let's transition here. We'll see if this, the battery may have been low, so let's see if it works. There you go. Lessons from the Red Sea. Lessons from the Red Sea. That's uh, uh, what we began a new series last week, um, uh, dealing with the story of Moses and the Israelites as they left Egypt, the story that most everyone knows. If ever I needed a current event to illustrate the storms of our lives, I sure received one this week, didn't we, with Hurricane Matthew that has swept across the eastern seaboard and so much damage has been done and so much prayer needs lifted up for those people. But let me just say up front, you know this, I know it, but let me remind you, storms will Storms will come. It's not a matter of if, but it's just a matter of when. Yet if you think about it, so many times in life we act surprised when they do come, don't we? I know I do. But Jesus never said that we'd only see sunshine. There's a song that I used to sing when I was a kid with my, with my family. Um, it says, Uh, He never said we'd only see sunshine, and he said we'd never see rain, but he only promised a heart full of singing about the very thing that once brought pain. The chorus is, give it all, give it all. Ruth, you're shaking your head. You know that song. Give it all to Jesus. Shattered dreams, wounded hearts, broken toys. So he never said that. But what he did say, he said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the Aren't you glad, church of the living God, that God, that Jesus did not just say, in this world you will have trouble? Aren't you glad he didn't stop halfway in the middle of that? But he gave us the concluding part of that. But I have overcome the world. Last week we asked if there are any lessons that we can learn from this story in Exodus. Are there any anchors, any life preservers, any lifelines that we can glean from this scripture that can help us in our storm and see us safely through. Last week in Exodus 13 and 14, we saw how Moses and the Israelites were led to the Red Sea. They were boxed in. They had nowhere to go as the army was bearing down on them, behind them, in front of them was this vast sea. And to the right and to the left was desert and was the mountains. They had nowhere to go. But we saw in chapter 13 where God told Moses, I want you to go this way. Don't go the easier way, the way you want to go, but go this way, the way that will lead you to the Red Sea that will apparently make you think that you're boxed in. But our first lesson last week was you are exactly where God wants you to be. You are exactly where God wants you to be. See, this first lesson can help bring a sense of calmness, a sense of stability. We learn that when you are in a difficult place, realize that the Lord either placed you there or allowed you to be there for reasons perhaps known for now only to Himself. Now, before we go on to the next lesson... I really feel like I want to expound just a little bit on a point that I made last week. I briefly hit on it, but I just really feel like I want to go into this a little bit in more depth this morning, so just bear with me. Um, Back in 2008, 
NFL receiver Plaxico Burris. He used to play for the Steelers and then the Giants and then the Jets. But back in 2008, he was at a New York City nightclub. And tucked in his waistband was a Glock handgun. Um, now, Burris did not have a license for this gun, which was not only against the law, but it was against NFL um, policy, conduct, personal conduct policy. The gun became dislodged in his belt, and it started to slide down his pants. And when he went down to get it, he accidentally pulled the trigger and shot himself in the leg. Ended up going to the hospital, just the very thing he didn't want to do. And he ended up um, um, being charged for having a weapon without a license. And he also ended up uh, being put on suspension in the NFL for two years. All because of a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Or in other words, all because of a foolish act on his part. Last week, I briefly talked about how sometimes we can create our own storms. This is an important part, folks, because I'm not looking at anyone today who's perfect. All of us at one point in time in our life have created our own storms, have we not? We've messed up. We've had an attitude, we've had an action, we made a decision that we know was wrong, and before we know it, we were in the middle of a storm. And even though the gist of this series is more geared for those who are in a storm that's just come out of nowhere, they don't realize, they don't know what they've done or to bring it about, but there could be someone here this morning that you're in a self-inflicted storm. And you want to know, Pastor Brock, is there any hope for me? Uh, the thing that you're talking about, Pastor, and the things that you're going to be talking about, can that apply to me? Is this still hope for me? I'm in this storm that I know I've, I've kind of created myself, and is there hope for me yet? If that's you this morning, I want you, and I, it's not on the screen, I didn't put it on the screen, but I want you to follow these five steps. If you are in a storm that you believe that you probably, now this is, this is tough preaching, folks. This is getting down to living right here, but we all have been there. If I were to ask every single one of you, if you had a chance to go back and change one thing, I'm sure all of you would say yes, multiple things. So, listen up to me here. If you're in that situation this morning, number one, be willing to have an honest conversation, not just with God, not, what, not just with Jesus, but with the Holy Spirit. Starts here. It must start there. Why do I say the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus called the Helper, the Holy Spirit not only comforts us, not only gives us joy, not only gives us strength, not only gives us peace, He not only gives us hope, but the Word of God says that He convicts, that He is a discerner of the human heart and of the human mind. And the Holy Spirit is the one that can tap you on the shoulder and say, Hey, this storm that you're in, you know you have a little part to play in this as well. He's the one that can reveal that to you. You have to have an honest conversation. If you indeed want the Lord to help you in your storm, you have to be willing to have that conversation. 
I liken it to how uh, some people, and I might fall into this, some of you probably fall into this, whenever you're experiencing some physical illnesses, instead of going to the doctor, instead of going to the one source that you need to go to, some of you will just ignore it, won't you? Yeah. You're shaking your heads inside. I know some of you just ignore it. You just want to act like it's not there. Some of you, instead of going to the doctor, you'll just self-diagnose yourself. You'll get onto the Internet and you'll look at your symptoms and you'll see what you have and then it's even worse than what you thought it was before, right? That's the way that it is. And this is, this is, this is what happens. This, this translates to the spiritual realm as well. Whenever you're in the storm and you think, you know what, maybe I had something to do with this, but no, I'm just going to ignore it. It'll just take care of itself. Or I'm going to self-deduce uh, this situation here and, well, it's really nothing that I've done, but it's something else. And all along, you just, you don't do anything about it. You just wait and wait until the problem gets so big that you're forced to go to the doctor. You're forced to do something that you normally won't do. Or in this case, you're forced to go to God and say, man, God, I need your help now. Go to the Holy Spirit. Have an honest conversation with Him. This is why we must start with Him. And if He reveals that you have indeed played a part in the making of your storm, go on to step number two. So step number one is have an honest conversation with the Holy Spirit. Number two... Make things right with God. Make things right with God. First John 2, 1 says, My little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. But if you sin, we have an advocate with the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, the righteous. So if the Holy Spirit convicts you, yes, Make it right with God. And then in verse 9 of chapter 1, if we confess our sins, then He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Get your life back square with God. There must be a wholehearted sorrow and repentance. A willingness to look at your situation and say, I've done wrong. God, forgive me. I'm going to turn around. I'm not going to repeat that. I'm no longer going to go into those destructive attitudes, those destructive actions. God, forgive me. That's number two. Get it right with God. Number three, forgive yourself. Forgive yourself. Now, depending upon the situation, this may be very hard to do. It may take some time. Depending upon the depth of it, depending upon the seriousness of the situation, this may take time. But if you believe that God has indeed forgiven you, then you have no right not to forgive yourself. Number four. This is a mini-sermon within the sermon. Make things right, or go to the Holy Spirit, number one. Number two, make things right with God. Number three, forgive yourself. Number four, if need be, make things right with your fellow man. This is a part that makes a lot of people uncomfortable. See, because going to God and making things right with God, that's just more private. I I don't have to put myself out there. But we have to make ourselves right with our fellow man. Why do you think that Jesus instituted the ordinance of foot washing? Because he knew that uh, those disciples in front of him were soon going to make up this young organization called the church. And he knew that at times they were going to argue, they were going to bicker. They might not always get along with one another. 
And he was instituting the ordinance of foot washing because we should always be humble. We should always be moldable. And when things don't go right, whenever there are arguments or disagreements, we should always be able to treat one another with the love of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 4.30 And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, Anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. I believe so many times whenever there is something that is taking place between brothers and sisters, we like to try and deal with it with God, but we just we leave this number four step out. We just like, well, they'll get over it or I'll just treat them nice and just, just act like it's gone on. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says this, Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. (coughs) Excuse me. And has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Reconciliation, restitution. It means to restore friendly relations, reuniting, bringing together again, mending fences. This is who God, church, expects us to be. People of reconciliation, we are to walk daily with this spirit and daily with this attitude. Not just reconciling people back to God, but when we've offended someone in a self-induced storm, Christ expects us to take the spirit of reconciliation that he has placed within our hearts when we accepted Christ. He expects us to take that spirit to mend fences with our fellow man. I didn't think I'd get a bunch of amens with that. But you know the Holy Spirit is saying that's true. Listen, God will not help you in your self-created storm until you are first in a right relationship with God. Amen? It has to start there. It's not that He can't, it's just that He won't. Because he's more interested in your relationship being right with him than he is in just getting you out of your storm. Many times all we want is for God to get us out of our mess, but all he wants is to first get us right with him. Then he'll take care of the mess. That's number four. Have the spiritual fortitude to make things right with your fellow man. And number five on this point. After you have been restored with God, after you have forgiven yourself, and after you have made things right with your fellow man, go back to what we talked about last week. Go back to that lesson number one, because now you are exactly where God wants you to be. What a great launching pad. What a great place to be. God will take care of you. You're exactly where you want to be if you are in a right relationship with him. You can trust him to work you out of the best. Now listen, that doesn't always mean that he'll get us out of our consequences. Amen? 
Sometimes in this whole process of working through storms and, and if there are things that we've done to, to kind of get ourselves this, he may not always just give us a free pass. He may allow us to go through some hardships. He may allow us to go through some consequences. But remember, take heart. I will even walk with you through some of that stuff. I will walk through all of it with you if you are first right with me. That's what he has promised, church. Doesn't always give us a free pass, but he has promised to always be with us. Self-induced storms, we've all been there. But those are the steps to get you right back on the right path. Second lesson from the Red Sea this morning. It's real quick, but I want to mention in Exodus 14. Our second lesson today begins with a question, or really begins with a series of questions. When we find ourselves in a difficult time, what are some of the questions that we sometimes ask? God, how did I get here? God, why me? God, get me out of this mess. Lord, what do I have to do to just totally get out of this? God, I don't understand how did I get here. Why is this always happening to me? God, why is it just one band of storms after another after another? But our second lesson suggests that perhaps we're asking the wrong question. Instead, lesson number two suggests that we need to ask a different question. Perhaps we need to ask, how can God be glorified through my storm? That's another tough one. But how can God be glorified in my storm? Exodus 14.4 says this, And once again, God was saying to Moses, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will chase after you. I have planned this in order to display my glory through Pharaoh and his whole army. After this, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites camped there as they were told. Folks, they were exactly where they needed to be so that God could receive the glory. I remember a conversation that I had with a lady a number of years ago who was having a number of serious tests done, physically, physical tests. Two of the tests came out fine, but one came back as problematic. And she found herself thrust into a very worrisome situation like many of you have been. You know what that's like. And it was a storm to where she had to wait. Don't you just love to wait in times like this? Waiting is one of the most difficult things in life, isn't it? When you're waiting on a phone call, you're waiting on a report, waiting on a doctor, waiting on something. Waiting can be very difficult. She then had to return for another test, but this time she told the Lord that if he wanted her to go through this storm, she was determined to ask the question, God, how can you be glorified through this storm? God, how can I perhaps help someone else through this storm that I'm about to go through? You see, we might be asking the wrong question. Fortunately for her in that situation, the test all came back negative and life 
was good, but she was willing to ask the right questions. How do we do this? How do we ask that question? How can God be glorified in my storm? I say it's a matter of perspective. It's a matter of perspective. You see, some people just seem to have a glass-half-empty perspective, right? Some people just seem to have a glass-half-full perspective. How does that happen? Is it come, does it come by the genes? Is it how they're wired? Is it because their mom and dad was a glass-half-empty, they're going to be a glass-half-empty? Or do we have a choice in the matter? Do we have a choice? There is a story about... This guy right there, uh, his name is Dan Jansen. How many of you remember that name, Dan Jansen? Yeah. Uh, Dan Jansen, he, uh, back in 1984, 1988, and 1992, he was an American speed skater. He suffered a series of disappointments in his attempts at Olympic gold. But every time he just kept coming back and coming back and coming back. And one time he was being interviewed by a reporter and the reporter says, how could you just keep coming back from this? And he said that he learned to keep things in perspective. And these are his words here. He said, whenever I was nine years old, I was competing at the Youth National Championships in Minnesota. I was in good position to win my first national title when coming around a turn I tripped on a rubber hose that they had set up as a lane marker. That slip cost me the title by one point. I started crying. I was crying as mom took off my skates. I was crying at the award ceremony. I was crying whenever we got in the car and I was still crying when we pulled into our driveway six hours later, he said. My father had not spoken a word to me all the way home, but as we got out of the car, he quietly said to me, You know, Dan, there's more to life than just skating around in a circle. So true, isn't it? So true. Perspective. Perspective. So much of life depends on our perspectives, doesn't it? When we think in terms of our own perspectives, now just think about this. When we think in terms of our own perspective, we can be very narrow-minded. We can just have a tunnel vision on our own perspectives. But when we see life through God's lenses, the ability to weather the storms of life takes on a completely new meaning. We're now able to see how God might want to glorify himself through it all. Is this easy? Absolutely not. Very well may be the toughest thing that you'll ever have to do in your life. But perspective is often the key when grabbing a hold of this second lesson. Listen to another story about a man that is very near and dear to the Church of God movement. Charles Naylor. Many of you know Charles Naylor, might know his story. Charles Naylor was a Church of God pastor, song and hymn writer back in the early part of the 1900s. Listen to this. Adversity is quite certain to come to us in one form or another, wrote C.W. Naylor. Quote, we may expect our share and should not leave it out of account in life's plans. We ought to be ready to meet it bravely, confidently, and resourcefully so that we shall not be overwhelmed. 
In August of 1907, Charles Naylor began an evangelistic tour through the southern United States while helping to remove some timbers under, under the tent at a meeting in Sydney. If you want to know what he looks like, that's him there. While removing some timbers underneath a tent back in 1908, he was injured seriously, dislocating, I've never heard of this, dislocating a kidney. A short while later, he was injured again in a bus accident and took to his bed in June of 1909, where he remained for the rest of his life, for the next 40 years. Naylor came from a literary family. His father wrote poetry and a cousin was a novelist and columnist. Another cousin was a songwriter. Naylor wrote many songs and many poems. C.E. Brown wrote about his literary efforts, quote, Naylor wrote continuously for the gospel trumpet for many years. Besides writing eight books, many tracts and pamphlets, there are 150 hymns, Church of God hymns that are in your hymnal that Charles Naylor wrote flat on his back. Among Naylor's writings was the book, The Secret of the Singing Heart, in which he also recorded on tape for the blind. In that book, Naylor wrote, The secret of the singing heart consists in learning to be what we ought to be and in holding the attitude we ought to hold toward life. It consists in learning to adjust ourselves to our circumstances and to be happy in those circumstances. Did you hear what I said? To be happy in those circumstances. And it consists in walking with God, believing in Him, and acting out that belief day by day. Doing this, we shall ever be blessed. For 40 years, Charles Naylor wrote books and tracts and 150 hymns from his bed, and he did it all with a singing heart. Notice in our Exodus story that it appears as though God was not even worried at all about the Israelites. Why is it? Because He knew He was going to take care of them. He knew what was going to take place. He knew they would be okay. What He was more interested in was for everyone around, the Israelites and the Egyptians, and this word would spread all around, for everyone around to see His glory. For God to be glorified and honored above it all. This is why He purposely led them to where He did. Perhaps you're in a storm today because God wants to glorify Himself through your attitude. He wants to glorify Himself as you choose to not look at your own circumstances, but you'll choose to look at God through your circumstances. There are other examples in the Bible. We're reminded about the blind man in John chapter 9. Where it says, now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, that this, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You see, the disciples were asking the same kind of questions we ask ourselves. God, why did this happen? What did I do? Or uh, what kind of uh, mess did I get myself into now? Or who sinned? Or who messed up here? 
But Jesus made them see the situation through his eyes when he responded in verse 3 by saying, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. We know that Lazarus died. It was after he died that Jesus showed up. It's after he died and was buried that Jesus showed up. And everyone began asking the typical questions. Jesus, why? When he showed up on the scene, Jesus, why did this have to happen? If you just would have been here, Jesus, this never would have happened to be. How many of you have asked those questions of Jesus? God, why am I going through this? If you just, Jesus, if you would have just done it my way. But Jesus said to those, Mary and Martha and the family, he said, this sickness is not unto death but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. You see, many times God allows storms to enter just so He can be glorified and just so your faith and my faith can grow. But God will never be glorified and we will never grow if our glass is always half empty. See, we have a part to play in that as well, don't we? What kind of attitudes do we have? At times, I admit, my attitude hasn't always been glass half full. Our attitudes. Now we know with complete and total confidence that God always delivers His people. Now I'm going to say this again and say another sentence or two and at the end I'm going to say amen and that's whenever you respond back, say amen, okay? Got it? All right. We know that God always delivers His people. He always makes a way where there seems to be a way. Amen? Amen. Okay, but here's the question. He always makes a way where there seems to be no way, but herein lies the struggle. Whose way is it? Whose way is it? You see, we tend to approach our problems and getting out of our mess the way we approach our burgers at Burger King. Have it your way, right? That's what we want. We're in a storm. We're in a difficulty. God, I want out of it this way. (laughs) At the core, we are selfish and we always want life our way. But remember, God is always after the way that will honor and glorify Him and His name. As painful as this can be, we must accept the fact that sometimes His way may not be our way, but His way is always the best way. His way may not always be our way, but His way is always the best way. This morning, I speak to myself and you. Let's learn to start asking the right questions. Maybe the question is, God, what are you trying to show me through all of this? God, what is it that I need to learn through all of this? And God, how can you be glorified through all of this? Just read the story of Joseph. One storm after another, but yet through it all, God was glorified in Joseph's life. I know I teased some of you last week, did I not? When we talked about Darlene Diebler-Rose. 
And I end with this last story. If you remember, I told you that Darlene and her husband, they were married in 1937. A year later, they were missionaries in the jungles of New Guinea. But as a precursor to World War II, the Japanese came, conquered the area, took over New Guinea. And they took several people hostage, including this young couple. Soon Darlene was separated from her husband. They took him to one prison camp and they took her to another prison camp and uh, they wondered if they would ever see each other again. Remember I said she suffered under forced labor, starvation, other, many other physical ailments. It was about a year later that Darlene received news that her husband did pass away from dysentery. And not long after that, she realized that she was singled out for execution. And here she is, a prisoner in a foreign land, widow at the age of 26, ready to die. I would probably ask the typical questions if I were in her shoes. God, why? She indeed felt that God had abandoned her. How can you not, as a human being, at least have those thoughts? But in her quiet, solitary confinement, Darlene made the decision that she was going all the way with Jesus and that she was going to ask the right questions. Whether she felt his presence all the time or not, she was going to bring her Lord honor and glory in all things. So her perspective changed. She then tried to comfort and help out the other women prisoners. Her countenance changed, and she reflected the glory of her Lord. There was a commander of the camp whose name was Commander Yamachi. This Commander Yamachi was a psychotic maniac. He was ruthless. He was mean, he was heartless, he had an explosive temper. He would strike the women physically for the smallest of infractions. He would place crazy, unreasonable demands on the prisoners. Now, now get this. Um, he had something with flies. He couldn't stand the flies. And he required every prisoner every day to bring him at the door of his office 100 dead flies. They had to kill 100 flies. And, he, and this to tell you how many people he had in the prison camp, he demanded 60,000 dead flies every day. Just an incredible, oppressive atmosphere, as you can imagine. Everyone had good reason to be terrified of him. One day he requested a meeting with Darlene. And he called her Najonda Diebler. Don't know what Najonda means, if that means miss or missus or whatever, but so here she is in front of him and he began speaking to her and he said, Najonda Diebler, you need to understand that this is war. Yes, Mr. Yamaji, I understand that, she said. The news you heard about your husband, many other women in Japan have heard. Yes, sir, I understand that too, she said. You were very young, 
Someday the war will be over and you can go back to America. You can go dancing and go to the theater and you can marry again and forget these awful days. You have been a great help to the other women in the camp and I ask you, don't lose your smile. Hmm. She then said, Mr. Yamaji, may I have permission to talk to you? And he nodded yes. Mr. Yamaji, I don't sorrow like people who have no hope. I want to tell you about someone of whom you may have never heard. I learned about him whenever I was a little girl in Sunday school back in Boone, Iowa. His name is Jesus. He's the son of the almighty God, creator of heaven and earth. And that day God opened up a glorious opportunity for Darlene to lay out the plan of salvation to this Japanese commander. Tears just started to flow down his cheeks. He died for you, Mr. Yamaji, and he puts love in our hearts even for those who are our enemies. That's why I don't hate you, Mr. Yamaji. Maybe God brought me to this place and time to tell you he loved you. Mr. Yamaji quickly rose from his chair and left the room just crying uncontrollably. I'm not totally done with her story yet. But that day, Darlene Diebler rose, asked the right questions. She chose to hold on to the anchor that said, I want to glorify and honor my Lord through this storm that I'm in. I want us to end this morning with a song that Charles Naylor wrote. Flat on his back. Mandy, come on up. Joyce, I believe you're going to help us play this. A song that we've sung before. I love this song. But he sang this flat on his back. But maybe there's someone here today that needs to start asking the right questions. You need to ask some different questions. Maybe you need to say, God, will you help me to glorify you through my storm? God, what is it that you want me to learn through all of this? It's going to mean a matter of changing your perspectives. Maybe that's you. Maybe you need God to help give you strength to honor and glorify him. Would you pray with me? Lord, this is a hard message, God. But I believe it's very crucial because we all will find ourselves in storms and at some point in time we need to stop asking the wrong questions and ask the right question of what can I learn, God? What is it that you want me to learn? But more importantly, God, how can I honor and glorify you through this? How can people look at me and look at my countenance and look at my attitude, look at my perspective and see Jesus? We could also sing Jesus, let me see Jesus only. But Lord, this morning, if there's someone here this morning that needs to start asking a different question, help them to just lay it all on the line for you. Be willing to be a servant for you and just say, God, whatever it is that you want to do in my life through this storm, 
I want you to be glorified through it all. Lord, maybe there's someone here that's in a self-induced storm and they need to take those steps. They need to have that honest conversation with you, Holy Spirit, and they need to get right with you, God, and they need to forgive themselves. They need to forgive and make things right with their fellow man, God. May they be able to do that this morning. God, thanks for speaking to us. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand, please?